0: I'd put you in my pocket Push the button through the hole to lock it Hold on to you, you're like a treasure Walk across my hand, it'd be a pleasure You could come with me You
1: could come with me
2: Hello. Hi.
0: Hi. Hello.
2: Hi. Hi. So this is Fega, and we're on Delicious of History, a podcast about people you probably didn't learn about in school. I am Fega. I'm your history host person. And uh, Isa's off saving the world. So I've got some (laughs) other guests with us today. Would you like to introduce yourselves?
1: Hi. (laughs) God, we're off uh, to a
2: great start guys great, yeah great start. Dave, <laughs>
1: dead air is the sign of a good podcast so. well, uh, that was the alternate
0: name for labor john was just dead air yeah gabe introduce yourself to the lovely people
1: uh so i am uh gabe christie i am one half of labor john and i am joined by my better half
0: oh young sam james and i am the other half mm-hmm. the lesser half let's be honest
1: Aren't you I sweet? don't believe that. <laughs> Let me silence my phone.
2: So I'm very excited because this is actually D-Listers of History's May Day episode. This is gonna be coming out on May Day. So happy May Day.
0: Happy May Day. Happy May Day. Happy May Day.
2: And we're gonna be talking about more anarchists from the Gilded Age.
0: I love May it. Day. I love it.
2: I feel like I've just existed in the Gilded Age for a little bit here.
1: <laughs> it's it's certainly an exciting period to study It is like, until
2: you realize that we're kind of living through Gilded Age
1: 2.0 Yeah I mean I, I've always been kind of of the opinion that the Like 1935 to like 1975 That was the aberration And Gilded Ageness has just kind of been the norm
2: That's real yeah. Yeah, I saw I can't remember what I I was like on YouTube or TikTok or one of these social media platforms. And I saw somebody who was being interviewed who was like at a Trump rally or something. And they were talking about how things were so much better for everyone in like colonial America.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I
2: was like, <laughs> even if you just don't think about the obvious like marginalized community aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like the average person was not doing that great. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah.
1: I will say uh Philadelphia in like I think seventeen seventy nine or might have been eighty one. I don't remember which. I think it was seventy nine, uh, did almost have like a proletarian revolution. That's true. Uh, because they had the bad idea of arming all of the poor people and then letting them kind of self-govern and then tried to give them orders.
2: Hmm. (laughs) And then they looked at France and said, let's not do that, actually. yeah, Let's write a constitution that will prevent this from happening. And then they all got yellow fever. (laughs) Just to shove a few things together. And this actually has nothing to do with Philadelphia. I actually wore my Bad Things Happen in Philadelphia shirt. Um, which doesn't have anything to do with today. But today we're going to talk about Leon Chogosh. Is that
1: how you pronounce it?
2: It is. And I I know this because I am a big fan of Assassins, the Stephen Sondheim musical. I'm actually refraining from singing Chogosh's song because his is the catchiest, most fun of the songs, in my personal opinion, for each of the uh, assassins of presidents in that show. I highly recommend it if people haven't seen it.
0: I'm excited because I'm coming into this with an empty mind. I've known nothing about this, so Vega, please fill me up.
2: Okay. Uh, So, as the song goes, "Chogosh, working man, born in the middle of Michigan, woke with a start. Away he ran to the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo. So he was born in Michigan, May 5th, 1873, uh, and his parents had emigrated to the United States. They were Polish Catholics. They were escaping the." I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I'm sorry. Kulturkampf, which is the cultural struggle um, of Otto von Thank you. I know just enough (sighs) German to know that was wrong.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm going to remove the E. Kultur doesn't have an E.
2: I wonder where that... You know what? I put the... I I literally had a new tour guide I was training who pointed out this terrible typo in the script I wrote where I put like the, I put the first inauguration of Washington happened in Philadelphia, which is just wrong. And I never thought that was the case. Because I've been a tour guide in New York City where the first inauguration of George Washington happened. And I, it just must have been a typo and I'm just a disaster, walking disaster. I was like, well, that's why my guides keep saying that. And I keep correcting it on their tours. I'm like, why is everybody saying this? (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is just wrong, guys.
1: (laughs) Could I be out of touch? No, it's the tour guides.
2: (laughs) It's their fault. Um, (laughs) So anyway, Otto von Bismarck was being a jerk to Polish Catholics. And so Chogosh's family came to America to have a better life or whatever. So they... Started a farm in a rural Polish community in Posen, Michigan, I guess is how it's pronounced. And then his mother died. Gosh, I can't talk. I I had one of those days today where it's like I had to take a nap to recover from my nap. I was off today (laughs) and I am a mess. (laughs) Uh, Did you
0: wake up and you're like, what year is this?
2: Yes. Yes. I felt like it was ridiculous. I had all these things I was going to do today. I was like, hey, I'm off. I'm going to do the dishes and. Nope. Um, <laughs> so his uh, his family they're in they're on this farm in this Polish community in Michigan and his mother dies in childbirth in 1883. So at that point the family sells the farm, moves to Al- Alpena, I think how so it's pronounced, uh, where the older children could work in factories. Children were required to attend school until age 14 in Michigan at the time. Um, so there were some the older kids were older than 14 so they could leave their schooling and go make money for the family
0: oh that's great sure so happy happy for them
2: yeah it's super child labor man just very very good for society
0: i want Mm -hmm. like a full house type of sitcom where like the door opens and the kids come home from their day in the mines and like the audience <laughs> claps and everything. And there's nice little jovial music. Can and we the, do this please?
2: And, and the kid like smokes a pipe. Like I'm assuming you've seen that picture of the kid, like with the sooty face, like smoking a cigarette, like he's like yep. seven. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Like that kid's
0: dad. I don't want to work in the mines anymore. Cut it out. Get back there.
2: Well, Cho actually stayed in school longer because he was smart, man well he didn't his parents let him <laughs> so oh. he was good at school and so his family let him stay in school until he was 16 and there's actually a lot of um when his family was interviewed after he assassinated william mckinley they they said part of his problem they thought was he was too smart to be a <laughs> laboring man like he just was unsatisfied with hmm. a life of of labor
0: I never got that compliment.
2: Well, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't all have it.
2: We don't, we don't all have what Cho'Gosh has. In these families, in these Polish Catholic families, children were part of how the family earned money. So keeping him in school for an additional two years was like a really big deal. They moved again in 1889 to Natrona, Pennsylvania. Where Leon gets a job in a glass factory making seventy-five cents a day for a ten to twelve-hour shift, and I did the thing that I always complain about, and I do anyway, which <laughs> is I uh, made it into today dollars,
0: yay, which
2: is a questionable practice at best. But uh, I, th- I think it's useful to have a concept. So I hear seventy-five cents, and I'm like,
0: oh I don't. no, it's okay. I get I get mad at Gabe when he doesn't do that for me.
2: Well, there's a reason for it. And it's it's not actually, like, a valid, like, because, like, buying power is different in different times. And it, it it's a whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> I found this website that I think actually handles it as well as anyone can. But according to this... Website, I'd
1: like to do... I, there was one that... Or one website that gave you the price of a loaf of bread. Mm. And that, like, that is a fairly decent metric.
2: Yeah. And that's what this site is supposed to do. Like, if you go into, like... I'll just send you the site and see what you think of it. But it's like, it goes into this, like, okay, well, if this commodity cost this and this commodity was important at this time, and like somebody has gone in and written this crazy algorithm that I only somewhat understand, but I figure it's better than just doing a sort of drop $1 to whatever (laughs) kind of deal. So according to that website, Chogosh was making the buying equivalent of $24 and 53 cents a day today.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Roller. Sure. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And that was a really glass factories were not a place you wanted to work. I mean, no factories in the Gilded Age were places you wanted to work, but glass factories particularly were particularly bad. What he had to do was he had to carry hot glass from the ovens to cooling racks So the workers had to wear multiple layers of underwear to protect from the heat because, you know, this is before jobs, you know, OSHA. (laughs) And you had to, like, provide, (laughs) like, safety equipment and stuff. And so they had to wear multiple layers of heat, and they frequently suffered from severe dehydration. They would actually drink pickle juice during their shifts to stay hydrated. So, you know, it's like old-timey Gatorade. Yeah. I literally... Saw I was I was in a sheets once, and I saw they had um like a shot of pickle juice that they were selling for like five dollars, um and I bought it as okay. a joke because my wife need, like has extreme hydration needs because of her medical stuff, and she sometimes will drink pickle juice and we thought it was very funny that it was like this much pickle juice for five dollars. This was very <laughs> helpful to people listening. A small amount, like like imagine like a five hour energy drink. Of pickle juice, of pickle
0: juice, <laughs> of pickle juice for
2: like five bucks, and I was like, "Excuse, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, sheets. Wait. This is not a thing." Uh, so they then moved to Cleveland, and I, I don't have a good reasons why they're moving around so much. I get the feeling it was just sort of the way people uh, sometimes have to move around when they're poor, like a job no longer exists or rent yeah. goes up or whatever. Like the book, actually, the, the book I read was actually extremely. Extremely helpful, very good book, and extremely unhelpful for, like, a chronological explanation of his life, because it's called Murdering McKinley by Eric Rauch, Rauchway, but it's, like, really focused on the impact of Chogosh's actions, but he talks about his background, but it, like, kind of bounces back and forth, so, like, he'll talk about, like, Chogosh's time in the glass factory, and then talk about the person who, like, founded social work, and, like... It's really good book. Really All hard place. to do this. Um, yeah, but there's not a lot of not a lot of books written about Chogosh. It turns out. Okay, so feeling when
1: th- you can tell the author had ADD.
2: Yeah, I mean it makes sense if you with what he was looking at. Like he was looking more from oh, okay. the lens of of like the political structure. Like it's the making of Theodore Roosevelt's America.
1: Gotcha. Yeah.
2: So. But anyway, so they moved to Cleveland just before the Homestead Strike in Pittsburgh, which is near near Cleveland. Sort of.
0: That sounds familiar, Gabe. Yes.
2: Good good timing. Uh, I, I literally under there has Homestead Strike highlighted in this is Gabe <laughs> in the notes. Yes. <laughs> uh
1: so the the Homestead Strike in June of 1892 the Amalgamated Association of Steel and Iron Workers had a very powerful union at the Homestead Steel plant in Homestead, Pennsylvania, uh, which is like just southeast of Pittsburgh. That plant was bought by friend of the pod Andrew Carnegie in 1886.
2: He built the uh, library in but- my well, not built, he paid money for the library in my neighborhood.
1: No, he he yeah. personally laid no, every yes,
0: he, single <laughs> stone. I saw him do it. It was true. Yeah.
2: He painted that little plaque inside that says a gift from Andrew Carnegie.
1: Mm-hmm. The, uh, I don't remember his name. For my master's thesis, I wrote about like using museums as tools for social change and whatnot. And so mm. I was looking at kind of the history of libraries as like as as an actual social good versus just like this is my books look at my books i can afford them and there was one librarian i think in new jersey who was one of the first people to just kind of establish a library as like this should be for the working class it should be free and open when they actually have time to go and like, wild, get books out.
2: wild concept
1: yes <laughs> Uh, And people just freaked out about it uh, that you're letting dirty poor people in.
2: I love, like, breaking people's dreams when I go by the free library of Philadelphia, like the main branch with tourists. And I say, like, and everyone's always told, oh, Ben Franklin, he did this free library thing and he absolutely did not. He made, like, a rich person library. He had the first, he developed the first lending library. But, like, to belong to the Gento is like, you had to be like a Philadelphia aristocrat, basically. Like that's how you knew you were like getting up there in society was being able to access this library. He climbed the ladder and pulled it on up behind him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no Benny. Yo.
1: Oh, no horn dog, Benny. Yo. <laughs> okay. So June 1st, 1892. Oh, uh, Carnegie brought in this guy named John Frick to manage the plant He's got a
2: lot of art museums.
1: Uh, yes. Uh and and did some other things. A pageant. So Frick wanted to destroy the Union. He locked out the workers at the end of June, uh, after fortifying the entire steel mill. And basically they literally called it Fort Frick. And then Great name. Oh yeah. Then the workers took over the town and a battle ensued. That eventually led to the army getting called in. But if you want to learn more about this. You should uh, subscribe to Labor John's Patreon. And you should also subscribe to the D-Listers Patreon. There you go. That's how you do it. That's how you probably not advertise our Patreon on another (laughs) pod. Which you just did.
2: I mean, I am a patron of Labor John, huh. and I have your stickers on this computer that I'm currently using.
1: I, we are also a patron patron of uh, D-Listers and are enjoying your
2: stickers. <laughs> yes, my, uh, we have a new sticker coming out that I'm waiting for in the mail. I'm very excited. It has a presidential seal on it, and it says, a little genocidal because, oh, we lost Sam. And we are back
1: woo
2: except now Sam and Gaber flopped on my screen.
1: Yeah you guys are flipped. You're back in the original configuration for me.
2: Well there you go. We've all we're all having different experiences. Uh so <laughs> We just went off the rails. We both have Patreons. <laughs>
1: you should subscribe Stop to both of Stop shilling the Patreons. We both have Patreons
2: and they both have very good stickers. Anyway, Homestead Shrek.
1: <laughs> it's a thing that happened. There um, yeah, you go. But the more Shulish Labor John episodes were like that.
2: was not uh, part of it. it our just boy happened. Lenny wasn't there. No, he was not there. Um, he, at that same time-ish, uh, he got a job at the Cleveland Rolling Mill Company making wire which Mm -hmm. was also very dangerous, but he was good at it because he, well, he was good at it. And as a result, he was given jobs in the factory that required more skill, which made him harder to replace and all that sort of good stuff. But it didn't protect him from the 1893 depression, which was terrible for everyone. Factories cut wages and workers, including Leon, and he participated in a strike. And The company responded to said strike by firing and blackballing everyone who was involved in the strike and hiring all new workers.
0: Sounds about right. So, you know,
2: tale as old as time. But here's the thing is included in the people who got like fired and blackballed were the uh, people who the foreman as well. So they didn't know any of the people who had been blackballed. So if you just gave a different name. You could get your job back, which is exactly oh. what Leon Chogach <laughs> did.
0: What a loophole! Okay,
2: <laughs> but while while he was out of the job, he really, really struggled with this economic depression, and sounds like he really experienced like depression himself. As a result, he really was taking it hard because he had been told his whole life that if he was like a good Catholic and worked hard and all these things, that everything would work out, and obviously that was not happening. So he started trying to find other explanations for what was happening in his life. He started off talking to his priest and his priest just told him to pray. And Leon's like, well, that's not doing anything (laughs) to help me. What? It's like, I'm very reminded of uh, one of our first episodes of D-Listers. We we talked about Father Divine and that was his thing was like, don't believe any religious figure who doesn't also make sure you're fed.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, That's fair.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he also had a lot of other stuff going on, but
0: he... <laughs> Joe Hill would have something similar to say as well.
2: Yeah. So Leon was like, no, I'm I'm done with the Catholic Church. I need a new way of, of seeing things. So he started like a little book club with his brother, who his brother was not as into it. So he eventually dropped off and Leon did it on his own.
1: What a nerd.
2: He, Leon was a huge nerd. Huge nerd. I call him Leon, by the way, in my notes, because Chogosh is really hard to spell. Yeah. (laughs) So he started studying. He spent what little money he had on books and pamphlets about religion and American society. Uh, He gets his job back, like I said, under a different name. This is when the name Neiman first shows up. So, yeah. That
1: makes a lot of sense because that confused the hell out of me.
2: Yeah, how he just pulled that out out of nowhere. Yeah. So Fred C. Neiman. And Neiman in German means nobody. Yeah. Uh And so he's also being kind of like facetious.
1: <laughs> he's just your average little buddy. Captain Nemo.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's, he was doing this on purpose. Like Leon Chogash was definitely book smart. And then he got super into the book looking backward, uh, which is a book I should have read. I TA'd a class on utopias when I was in college. And mm. I was really having a tough time that semester and did not read most of the things for the book class that I was TAing, um, And so I have not read Looking Backwards, but I have attended several lectures about it. <laughs> and it is a utopian science fiction novel where a man falls asleep in 1887 that wakes up in the year 2000 and finds that all the different social classes now work together for the common good. So like society is so fixed. Like,
0: yeah. Oh, something. Mm-hmm. That actually happened.
2: Yeah.
1: That's what the early 2000s were like. Yeah,
2: that's that's my times. memory. That and like glitter eyeshadow. That's, well, that's...
1: that was the common good. Yes. Yeah. Glitter eyeshadow for everyone. Yes. <laughs> and then
0: 9 11 happened.
2: Yeah, and the, the terrorists said no glitter eyeshadow for anyone. Oh. <laughs> that was definitely Al Qaeda's
1: <laughs> main. That was their primary complaint.
2: Yes, that's the word. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm here just to shoe in 911 into random places in this episode.
2: <laughs> just like my childhood. Rudy
0: Giuliani.
2: Um I literally ran into Rudy Giuliani once like when I was a kid. With your
0: car? Thank you. We appreciate. No, with that. with my body. <laughs> metal?
2: Um I was walking into a it was a Twisted Kilt. My parents didn't realize what kind of restaurant Twisted Kilt was. And we were in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was in college. And they were like, oh, kilts. And I, I went to a college where the marching men wore kilts. So they were like, oh, kilts. This is a great place to go before seeing a show in Manhattan.
0: Oh. And
2: like most Manhattan restaurants, it's like you have to walk through this very narrow hallway to get in. And I was an idiot 19-year-old not paying attention to where I was going. And I literally ran into someone and looked up and it was America's Mayor with his latest squeeze.
0: <laughs> he was coming out of... Twisted, Twisted Kills. Kills, yeah. Twisted Kills? <laughs> Why am I not surprised? That is a great story.
2: I was pretty... That's like
0: uh, Scottish uh, shooters for people who don't know.
2: Yeah, it was a... It was a weird day all around. Like, just... All around weird day. But now I can say that I have collided with Rudy Giuliani for all that does for me. So Leon he's really into looking backwards and they were like, he wasn't alone. This was a very popular book and people started these, what were called Bellamy clubs. Bellamy is the author. And they would talk about how they should be thinking more about their responsibilities to one another. This was apparently new to some parts of American society, which was surprising yeah. for me to read because I was like, Okay, that seems pretty basic, but you know. Leon, though, he goes whole hog and joins a socialist club. But the club was explicitly not anarchist. They were one of those ones that were socialists, but they were like, not not with that, not the anarchy part, though, guys. Yeah,
0: they had a little bit (laughs) of class still.
2: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) While he's doing all this political education, his family puts their resources together and buys a farm in Warrensville, Ohio. And eventually Leon decides to leave his job and live on the farm full time. And he never said why he did that. And his family never asked, I guess. Which is interesting. Like he just became a recluse and his family's just like, Leon's weird, whatever. Yeah. So he becomes recluse. He becomes a hypochondriac. He was like always going to doctors and getting different drugs and things. Based on the drugs he was using it seems like he might have thought he had syphilis which was really common at that time but when he had when the autopsy was done on him there was no indications of syphilis at all oh huh
1: okay that that's a weird one to like convince yourself that you have
2: right but yeah
1: I can see like having bad allergies one day and being like oh clearly i have tuberculosis right but
2: yeah but syphilis also like there's a stage of it that is where nothing is happening like you get a rash and then everything's chill i know this because the next delister thing the person had syphilis so i was reading up on syphilis yesterday um
0: Normal at things. Least, yeah, at least we have one syphilis expert on the pod. I wouldn't
2: tonight. call myself an expert. Um, <laughs> I read the Wikipedia page. That's not true. I went a step above that. I read the Mayo Clinic page.
0: Oh, ah, that's mm. good enough.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you didn't WebMD it?
2: I mean, that's essentially what the Mayo Clinic page is. Mm. is WebMD? Yeah. That's
0: a step above WebMD. I thought, Like I half a step. Half a step. <laughs> one full step above Wikipedia, though.
2: Yes. Yes, indeed. So you're an expert. Sure. We'll, we'll call it that. This is like when Isa was trying to call me an American history expert, and I'm like, I'm really not. Please don't put that on me.
1: <laughs> I still don't, don't like I, being called a labor
0: historian. <laughs> you're the labor history guru of Philadelphia, Gabe. No.
2: <laughs> There's so many people who know more. But we're the ones with the microphones. So
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah. A, I, I like to call my microphone when I'm working as a tour guide, my bully pulpit.
1: Yeah.
2: Cause it is. <laughs> so he thought he had syphilis. He did not have syphilis. And during this time, he did unrecluse himself for imp- some important things like going to hear Emma Goldman speak. And so he goes to Cleveland to see Emma Goldman. And this is in uh May of 1901. And he's just like super inspired. This is the best thing he've ever he's ever heard. And he goes up to her and asks for reading recommendations which is the nerdiest way of flirting with somebody <laughs> so like oh yeah go go for it leon show he definitely was like in love with her like he followed her around to different reading uh, speeches and stuff in a way that i find a little uncomfortable um, but he was he was kind of an awkward dude um so she gives him Did, yeah
1: this also just like This seems to have been a thing that happened, especially with female anarchist speakers. Because, like, there were definitely... Or I got the feeling from Vulture and Declare that her attempted assassin was not the only man that just kind of, like, followed her around. Yeah, men are creepy, man.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think this is unique to anarchy. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It'd be funny if
0: it was. We're just anarchist men who were just creeps.
2: I mean, it would be really tough for the Argue. movement. Yes. But I do like this, this uh, world where other people are like, Buh, what are those anarchist guys doing? So he's, he's following Emma Goldman around and he wants, he decides he is now all about anarchy. He hears Emma Goldman speak once, reads a couple books and is like, just all about it. He's going to yeah, join the, sure. the, the the subreddit. Like he's, he's ready to go. <laughs>
0: I Man, I was an anarchist before. It was cool.
2: Yeah, he was not. Um, <laughs> so, but she she thought he was, like, really – she she kind of felt for him. And so she introduced him to some of her friends in Chicago and to kind of get him on the, in the anarchist train. But he was just <laughs> – he was just so awkward. So everyone thought he was a particularly inept police spy. Because I get the feeling he would like show up to meetings and be like, So, guys, what are we bombing next?
0: (laughs) So, anarchy.
2: (laughs) And like, he genuinely would like, he just wanted to be involved and he didn't know how to like (laughs) do that, which I feel in my soul. (laughs) Yep. And it was so bad that actually in, um, I didn't write down which paper this was. One of the anarchist papers that came out of Chicago actually put out this, this uh, whole little thing about him. It says, attention. The attention of the comrades is called to another spy. He is well-dressed, of medium height, rather narrow shoulders, blonde, and about 25 years of age. Up to the present, he has made his appearance in Chicago and Cleveland. In the former place, he remained but a short time. While in Cleveland, he disappeared when the comrades had confirmed themselves of his identity and were on the point of exposing him. His demeanor is of the usual sort, pretending to be greatly interested in the cause, asking for names or soliciting aid for acts of contemplated violence. If this same individual makes his appearance elsewhere, the comrades are warned in advance and can act accordingly. So he's been super called out.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Basically on like, you know, 1901 anarchist Twitter.
0: Mm-hmm. He has
2: been fully canceled. And there are some people who theorize that that was part of what pushed him into the assassination.
1: Oh. Was
2: to prove himself. I'm a little skeptical of that. I think that that might have been part, an aspect of it. But I also think he thought this would do something.
0: mm mm-hmm.
2: But he was uh, definitely an, a lone wolf, as we would call it these days.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, he was rejected by his anarchist progeny. Progeny? No. Comrades.
0: <laughs> Wait, he looked, yeah, he had something to prove a little bit, I think.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like there might have been a social, like a sociological difference, too, because he was like a this Eastern European guy and the way he would have grown up with other Polish people interacting it was very different than how a lot of the like, the, the anarchists in Cleveland and Chicago would have interacted yeah. with each other. Mm-hmm. A lot more standoffish, a lot more like direct, I guess. At least that's what the book said. They're
0: not going off to pray before everything. They're not asking their priest for advice, possibly. Yeah,
2: well, he was done with that. Later on, I didn't write this in the notes, but later on, his brother brought a priest in when he was like at the end and he like threw him out he was like no absolutely not we are not doing this i'm mm-hmm. done with this whole catholic church thing
0: <laughs> i'm okay with this
2: yeah him and declare had that in common
1: i do also love the security approach of posting like a security alert in a public newspaper right
2: it's funny because anarchists were so I'm going to say bad because this was on purpose, but, like, they didn't keep track of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But this we have. We have this very specific security notice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, it wasn't, like, a pamphlet handed out secretly at meetings to be on the lookout for this guy. It's like, no, in the newspaper. Yeah.
2: And that, actually, I never really thought about that, but it makes me wonder, did they really think he was a spy? Like
1: yeah or are they just
2: being jerks like
1: <laughs> hmm.
2: like i don't know I, i'm not basing that on anything <laughs>
1: but, i mean i i could see someone being petty enough to just be like i'm tired of this guy showing up to meetings
0: yeah and so they had him swatted
1: yeah
2: yeah, yeah i mean i i remember not on this set of research on show gosh but i did research i did a Like Back during lockdown, I did a a class where kids learned about different presidential assassinations through tabletop role-playing gaming. Mm, That's the kind of person I am. (laughs) No, actually, uh, the kids ended up being, once they learned about who McKinley was, they were like, so why are we saving this guy? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, go forth, small comrades. Um, (laughs) But I remember looking that up and there was, like, some of the anarchists got were, like, kind of offended because they felt like he was talking down to them. Like, he read, like, this one book and thought he was, mm-hmm. you know, tough shit.
1: So he really was a Reddit bro. Yes. Uh,
2: so, I mean, I can see how that's gotcha. annoying because uh, I have been annoyed yeah. by that sort of thing in the past. <laughs> so I don't know. Either way, though, he uh, makes his way over to Buffalo.
1: Yes. So now we're, we're going to talk about Old Bill McKinley. Oh dear. Because there's a reason he went to Buffalo. So, uh, Willie McKinley was first elected president in 1896. Basically coming in on the heels of the 1893 depression. The economy did pick up during his first term. And that's probably more just due to business cycle than any of his actual policy. Uh But he did stir up a lot of support for himself through the spanish-american war so he by the 1900 election he was absurdly popular and had like this whole big jingoistic imperial wave behind him
2: weirdly he wasn't that rich though no like he Uh, had the support of all these uber wealthy people and he himself like he wasn't like he was fine but he wasn't so he a was, Rockefeller.
0: So he was Trump. So what you're saying.
2: I wouldn't say that.
0: In that regard. I,
2: I guess, except nobody thought he was wealthy. Like, people think he yeah. was wealthy.
0: Uh, people thought okay. he was,
2: like, I don't know, this, like, upper middle class guy. They didn't have that terminology yet. But, like, you know, like, he was doing okay. But he was, like, buddies with all the rich people.
1: Say he was more like Bill Clinton. Yeah. That, like he was, he was at the bottom end of the upper crust okay and then did he play the saxophone that i don't know
0: mm.
2: highly unlikely you're
0: slipping you're slipping yeah.
2: i don't know if we've transitioned from the saxhorn to the saxophone yet so music history i don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> he got reelected in or after the 1900 election or in the election of 1900. And after his inauguration, he and the First Lady, Ida McKinley, went on a cross-country train tour where basically they were going and waving at large crowds and kissing babies and doing all of the normal things. As you do, yep. Mm -hmm. And he was also, he gave a lot of speeches about ending kind of the American isolationism that had been the norm yeah and so he he wanted to continue this whole like american empire thing very
2: literally an empire because this is um this is yeah this is after we colonized the philippines right uh
1: we were in the process of it so the i think the philippine insurrection had started at this point because we had kicked out the spanish theoretically established a democracy and then said well hold on a moment and then made it not a democracy anymore and uh the philippine people were not terribly pleased with no,
2: that no and i just i know that's how taft kind of got his big political boost was he was in the philippines for a long time but mm-hmm. he was unpopular because he thought that the filipinos should like lead themselves after he was still paternalistic, don't get me wrong. The man was paternal, yeah. He had this, like, we'll teach them how to do it and then, like, send them on their way, which is gross in its own way, but
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's about as good as it got at this yeah. point. <laughs> so, I do, I love that uh, Teddy Roosevelt became the vice president kind of against his will because yes. <laughs> he got nominated for it because uh, he he was mayor of New York, or not mayor, uh, governor of New York at the time.
2: Yeah, I think governor.
1: And I got Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani on the brain now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was uh, governor of New York. Basically, there were machinations within the party to get him out of the way. He got nominated to be vice president, and he couldn't turn down the nomination because he would lose a lot of public respect. So he had to accept it.
2: And they put him there because they knew he would just be like, like vice presidents don't do anything. Yeah. Like they campaign.
1: But then something happened. Oh. The tour or the cross country tour was set to end in Buffalo, New York. McKinley and his wife arrived in Buffalo on September 4th. The day before our boy Lenny, went to Wallbridge's hardware store and purchased a thirty-two caliber revolver and some ammunition. Okay. I wasn't, at least from the newspaper accounts of the time, it doesn't look like there was any evidence that he was planning on assassinating the president at this point. He was going squirrel hunting. Yeah. Obviously. But to my knowledge, this is the first time that he went out to a hardware store and purchased a handgun. Damn. Yeah, Um, like...
2: I'm skeptical of that, based on like the things yeah. he said after the act.
1: I think he, he might not have planned the exact date, but there was, he had something in yeah. mind here. He also had no other reason to be in Buffalo at this point,
2: right? I mean, there was the the Pan American uh, Exposition. That's happening. true. It's our like World's Fair sort of thing. On
1: September fourth, like I said, McKinley and his wife arrived in Buffalo by rail and they were greeted by a whole huge fanfare and that included a cannon blast to announce their arrival however the soldiers that set up the cannon put it too close to the rail okay and so when they fired the blank shot it blew out all or a lot of the windows on the train (laughs) Um, and everyone had immediately assumed this was a bomb thrown by an anarchist. Of course, of course. People, there were actually people uh, shouting. It was an anarchist, and like shouting that it was a bomb. Jesus Christ! Ida McKinley was apparently very, very shaken by this. I mean, sure. Um, That's fair. <laughs> which, yeah, like you just had a effectively an explosion go off right next to you. That's going to be a little scary, but at least according to the papers, McKinley uh, walked off the train quite calmly sure. and went to shake hands on the crowd. Manly. Yes. Whenever you're reading any, really, even up to the modern day, any newspaper account of especially a husband and wife team doing anything, take it with many grains of salt. Like a pile of
2: it. The whole, yeah. the whole like Morton salt with the, with the little spout on
1: it <laughs> yeah lenny was in the crowd on the platform at this point with his newly purchased revolver and apparently did try to push his way forward to get to the president but the crowd was too thick and especially once mckinley came off the train everyone like rushed forward to go and one probably make sure he was okay and then to try and like shake his hand but mckinley got very quickly whisked off the train by his security d- detail and put in a car and then driven away to uh, where he was staying in buffalo and like you had mentioned uh the pan-american uh exposition
2: Fair? i only know exposition. this because it's in yes. the song it's a Pan american oh. <laughs> exposition in buffalo <laughs>
1: So the the Pan American Exposition was going on, and so all of the streets of the town were like filled with tents. There was lots of fa- uh, festivities going on, and uh, McKinley rather famously didn't like having a large security detail because he liked to be oh. able to go out and like shake people's hands. Because mm-hmm. he, while he might not have been very wealthy, he really really liked being the center of attention. Maybe
2: you gotta Mm -hmm. be to be president.
1: And so he liked walking around and talking to people and giving speeches. After his speeches, he would often do a like little receiving ceremony where people could form an orderly line and come and shake his hand. They spent the McKinley's, both of them spent the fifth touring the fair. That's when Bill gave his speech about ending American isolationism. So setting up American empire Then on September 6th, 1901, he and Ida went to, or were set to finish up in Buffalo and were supposed to travel back to Cleveland on the 7th. So they were going to leave early in the morning on the 7th. But in the morning on the 6th, they took the interurban trolley from Buffalo up to Niagara Falls. Also reading any newspaper accounts from the early 20th century just really upsets me. Yeah. Because there's so much public transit available.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I could take a trolley to Niagara
1: Falls. Yeah, we I mean, used to be able to go. I think it's like from Boston to Detroit entirely by interurban something trolley, like
2: that. But you know, progress. Yeah, so we had to rip it all up.
1: Yep. And a lot of the tracks and right-of-ways are still there. They're just not in use. Uh, or we sold them to CSX. Or not CSX. We sold them... Or they got handed over to Conrail. And then bought up by CSX when Conrail Well, collapsed. then here in
2: Philly, we have a bunch that are just, like... Just there, making life difficult for bikers. Like the 12th yes. Street line, which used to be... I think the longest... continuous line inside of a city or something like that and like some of the rails are Mm -hmm. just still there they're not being used for anything besides Mm -hmm. causing bikers to wipe out
1: (laughs) yep well so the all of the trolley lines in philly are technically still active they are only temporarily suspended but literally with a stroke of a pen the managing director of SEPTA could just turn all of them back on.
2: That would be so wild. <laughs> yep.
1: It It's very upsetting. I live right near the trolley lines between, on both Germantown and Waynav, and it's very upsetting to see the lines there, but no trolleys.
2: Yeah, I'm a uh, West Philly, so sorry. I've got actual
1: functional yep. trolleys.
2: And mm. and Except they don't have uh, any sort of accessibility, so... If you're in a wheelchair, sorry, oh, too yeah bad.
1: The the new the new cars. They've been are talking good, about those new so. cars for like
2: a decade. I'll believe it when I see it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And this has been Philadelphia Transit. Call. <laughs> I'm in Roxborough. <laughs> you have a bus. <laughs> they came back to Buffalo for the Daily Organ recital at the Buffalo Temple of Music, and that wrapped up at around four p.m. My m. brain
2: just went to the wrong uh, kind of organ. And I was very confused for a moment. Like organs inside your body.
1: Oh, (laughs) yes. You just stand on stage and recite every organ. I was
2: imagining more of a like sort of percussion kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Sam is giving me the most horrified look. (laughs) (laughs) Like what is wrong with a person's brain?
1: (laughs) I just want to see how far you would go with this. You know, let's like just keep talking. With bagpipes, you're technically playing an organ.
2: Sure. I mean, old-timey old ones. Like, now they're made of, like, nylon yeah. or
1: whatever.
0: Getting back to this. <laughs> no, no, no. We have to stay on this.
1: <laughs> we, I guess we did take a five-minute respite to talk about transit. So now let's We'd... take a five-minute respite to talk about instruments made out of organs.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> After the recital concluded, President McKinley was getting ready to receive guests and greet all of the concert goers. So he went over and stood on the edge of the dais, which had the organ on it. So he was elevated up above the crowd, but would like bow and reach down to say hi to people. There were also only two secret service members present at this point. Because again, he liked a very small security detail so that they didn't get in the way of him greeting everyone. Which is
2: wild if you think about it, because we've had Lincoln and Garfield at this point. Yeah. Like, he, like, like Garfield was not that long before. That was actually recent yeah.
1: history. I mean, the Secret Service had only recently started actually doing the presidential detail at this point because it was all Pinkertons yeah, was. before them.
0: And then um, Will Smith and Kevin Klein stopped uh, Kenneth Bragnath when he was driving his big uh, tarantula. Yeah. Oh. And then that's where the Secret Service actually came from. It's true. That's
2: quite the pull.
0: It was a documentary. It was a documentary. (laughs) You know how long it took to colorize those old films?
1: Okay, so there was one witness who saw Shulgaj approach the president. He said that it was very, very clear that this man was an assassin. Okay. He approached the president with his right hand slightly pulled back and covered by a handkerchief. He reached out with his left hand and uh, McKinley like bowed down to shake his left hand. And as he was doing that, Shulga's extended his right hand and fired a shot into McKinley's gut. Now, the man or the witness that they interviewed said, I would have intervened, but didn't think I basically said, I don't think I was important enough to intervene and stop the president from being shot. That's fascinating. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. He's like, I, I'm just some guy. I mean, it was obviously an assassination attempt, but what was I going to do? I like that. I like it. I got to use that more
2: often. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's like yeah. when there's an emergency, they always tell you to give people direct like orders. Like, you don't say yeah. somebody call 911. You say you call 911. Yeah. Because people just don't know what to do.
0: So if, like, the president gets shot right next to me, like, I'm just some guy. What am I going to do? That's the president. I can't get between a president and this
1: guy's gun. Exactly. I mean, what if the president wanted to be shot? Right, and then.
2: What would, like, you have to explain. That would be so complicated.
1: It would be really awkward. McKinley has now been shot. Um, Oh, Oh, damn. He falls uh, towards uh, Dick Detective Gary, who was one of the secret servicemen who, he caught him. Kinley asked him, am I shot? And Detective Gary says, I fear you are, Mr. President. Uh, I'm assuming very, very calmly. Again, take all late 19th, early 20th century (laughs) newspaper accounts with massive grains of salt. (laughs) So the police then charged forward into the crowd beating their way towards oh my uh, God Chogish, who was attempting to flee um, I should also note like this crowd was a mix of like the wealthy of Buffalo just random fairgoers and just normal people children and yeah probably <laughs> and the police are just storming in with Billy clubs beating their way to Chlgos. <laughs> the police caught him and then immediately the crowd started basically calling out for blood. And there were a lot, like, the newspaper kept saying that there were, like, anguished cries for blood.
2: Anguished cries, my goodness.
1: There were also multiple people explicitly saying that they uh, wanted to lynch him. These great 1901 things. Yeah. Now, after the police had beaten their way through the crowd to get to Sholga's, now they formed a circle around him and protected him from this crowd, that was very quickly turning into a lynch mob. And I I say Shulga's, but he was still calling himself Fred Neiman. Yes.
2: Well, I don't uh, know. Had he given his name at that point?
1: The When he was first yeah. arrested, he identified himself as Fred Neiman. Uh, and then later said that it was actually Yeah, it didn't Shulgas. take a
2: lot for him to drop the name.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the newspaper accounts were also very confusing because it was like, Literally two pages calling him Neiman, and then about a court like one sentence saying like the police have now correctly identified Fred Neiman as Leon Schlegel's.
2: Well, you know, it was like you couldn't just do like a find replace back in those days.
1: <laughs> yeah, they. You're. That's a fair point. They probably set all of the type and were like, "I'm not fucking changing <laughs> like, this." No.
2: His yeah. <laughs> name's Fred Neiman.
1: <laughs> they. Dragged our boy, Lenny, out and into their wagon, uh, laid him on the floor. They had they placed an armed cop in the passenger seat and had others hanging off the side and the back. Then in the back of the wagon itself, they laid uh, Lenny on the floor and put their feet on him, pinning him down so that he couldn't move. Okay. And they were both like going overboard here both to prevent him from escaping they were also convinced that there were going to be other anarchists that would try to free him and then also they wanted to keep him alive and prevent the lynch mob from getting to him so that he could stand trial for this little
2: did they know he was like anarchist canceled
1: yes right it's like we don't know him He's not one it's of actually ours.
2: not too far off from what
1: happens. <laughs> yeah. So then they got to the police station. There was, again, a crowd there. So the cops, again, beat their way through the crowd using God. clubs. All right. Things yep. have not changed. Things no. have not changed, ever. They got Shulga's inside and into a jail cell. That was probably the safest place for him at this point. I also just want to add a side note here, because I... I have to tie everything back to Philly. Uh, so the Inquirer had a little blurb about this, that the democratic mayor, uh, Charles Richardson of Marietta, Ohio, he was the mayor of Marietta, Ohio had exclaimed that he was glad McKinley had, uh, was shot. Okay. Uh, the, he said this within earshot of about a hundred other people, run of whom was, Serene Selpa, I think is how you pronounce this guy's name, who was the newly elected county commissioner, who lunged at Charles Richardson and attacked him. And then soon after, the entire crowd joined <laughs> in and just ble- beat the former mayor to a bloody pulp. Jesus. Because uh, he said that he was glad McKinley was shot. So, oh
2: boy! All right. Another Philly thing: we actually have a, a, a statue of William McKinley in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's next to oh. City Hall. It's on the um, the s- southeastern corner of City Hall. Yeah, he's got huh? little like cherubs and stuff around him.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, that that sounds about <laughs> right. Um, so uh, McKinley was rushed to the hospital to treat his uh, gut wound. After he was beaten by a group of police officers. <laughs> he, he was the one person in the crowd that they weren't actively beating. No, that was the guy who shot the president. Yeah. I guess there were two people. It was the president and the guy who, the shot, guy him. who shot him. Yeah. The police weren't actively attacking them at this point. The public response to this was basically... Every politician in the country just came out and was like, "Okay, we need to one just ban an anarchy as an idea, okay, and then two uh legalize just lynching anarchists
0: oh jesus god
1: uh there there were like multiple speeches being given that we should just legalize vigilante murder of anarchists now
0: hmm.
1: and then that, nice. that's the solution
0: yeah
1: uh so that was great on the tenth of September. Uh, After interrogating Shulga's, one, discovering his name is Shulga's, uh, and then also discovering that he had listened to Emma Goldman give speeches, the police used that as justification enough to go and arrest her.
2: (laughs) She was weirdly chill about the whole thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like, Like, yeah, fuck it. um, Well, she, she... I think had spent most of her life knowing that like the police are going to come and arrest me at any point. So just be ready for it. She
2: like supported Cho'Gosh. Uh, Like she was like, we should. Because a lot of anarchists were like, no, that guy's not with us. And she was saying like, no, we should support him. He's doing doing the thing. Has praxis or whatever.
1: So the the police arrived at 303 Sheffield Street in Chicago, which they were told was where uh, Goldman was staying. They barged in and found a woman who claimed to be Swedish and named Lena Larson. One of the cops was a Swedish or of Swedish descent and spoke Swedish. So he started asking her questions in Swedish, and then another cop was searching the air, uh, searching the premises, and found a pen that was engraved "Emma Goldman." Okay,
2: nice try, um, Emma. <laughs> so he asked. You know,
1: so he, uh, he asked her what that meant, and she responded with, "It means the game is up."
2: She's such an icon. <laughs> you know, I
1: I do also love, especially like in the Midwest trying to claim to be Swedish without knowing any <laughs> Swedish at all. And the, the newspaper did mention that she put on like a strong Swedish accent. Like, I'm Lena Larson. <laughs> uh, and, but then to not expect like to run into a Swedish cop.
2: She was like, this is the one accent I like, can pull off. So like, we're going to, we're going to yeah. throw our hat in the ring and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, it all just comes out as like the Swedish chef,
2: except with yeah. like a Yiddish accent. Which... Like, I'm imagining like a Yiddish inspired oh, Swedish God. chef.
0: Today we're we gonna make him fish.
2: We're the fish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, okay, so uh, once they had her in custody, they were trying to make a clear tie between her and Shulga's, um, mm-hmm. and she basically stuck to the truth which was that she had only ever met him very briefly at that one speech in Cleveland and was like probably or was aware of his existence in the movement but at least from what I found she had never met him outside of that
2: yeah no he like when I say he like followed her around I mean like I don't know like he didn't like talk to her like he just like went to I mean kind of like kind of like the guy who shot um, declare like shoot like she didn't really know what he was doing like yeah yeah, Just a
1: stalker. despite not having any clear connection uh, they held her in the women's annex of the Chicago County Jail or the Cook County Jail that was the newspapers were also they really love talking about Emma Goldman especially because they get to call her the high priestess <laughs> of anarchy
2: there's some great pictures of her in this actually
1: and she, but they like kept flip flopping between like
2: it's like a picture of her looking all seductive, and then there's one of her being like the devil,
0: if hmm. everybody would turn the page two hundred and
2: ninety four <laughs> I'll post them on Instagram
1: <laughs> there you go there we go, so uh they kept like flip flopping between remarking that she was taking it easily and like was laughing about the whole thing and was just this very brave anarchist lady. And then would also be like, Oh, but sometimes she did cry. And oh. they, they very specifically mentioned, like, it was like, she revealed that she was indeed a woman and cried slightly. And just, Good God. Um, <laughs> that was kind of the immediate response in the U S Um There were also reports coming in of an anarchist group in Soho, London, uh, which had made a list of potential assassination targets with McKinley on it. Oh,
2: it's not that hard to come up with, though, right? Like there'd already been a I forget who it was, but there'd been a political assassination of some head of state not that long before. So it's not like hard to think of like hey guys, what about the president of the United States?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Especially this like very jingoistic president that wants, explicitly wants to start American and who is Empire. literally
2: in the pockets <laughs> of the uber wealthy.
1: So, but all of the American police uh, were desperately trying to use that to prove that there was an international crimin- uh, criminal anarchist conspiracy to just kill all of the presidents. Mm. Jesus. Are they also every single time that Shulgas was mentioned in the newspapers, despite being a native-born American, uh, he was only ever described as a Polish anarchist. Yep. And it's always very interesting to see like the immigrant washing, I think is the best. Mm. Yeah, and I, I mean it's how he's remembered. It. Like um, I
2: always think it's interesting. Um whenever assassins is put on so it's like today the actor always puts on a very thick polish accent and i don't know that might be Mm -hmm. accurate because he did like live in predominantly polish communities so that that might like i know a guy who was born in the united states and he sounds like he's from russia like (laughs) like i remember meeting him and being like oh yeah so where are you from and he goes brooklyn and i was like is that where you were born I was born in Brooklyn. Like <laughs> it's like he didn't speak English for the first like fifteen years of his life. But I always think it's interesting because he is like he was born in America, in the heartland, in Michigan.
1: The no self-respecting American would
0: oh, try no, and assassinate
1: never. the president, so
0: or live in Brooklyn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> as, as as a resident of Philadelphia's own Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> I agree. My goodness, it's weird here. Um, but <laughs> I also so McKinley didn't die right away. He he lingered oh, for yeah. a bit. So that was actually part of the holdup too. Is like what was the the crime going to be? Because whether he died or lived was a big deciding factor. Yeah, <laughs> so they thought he was going to live for a bit.
1: He died on the fourteenth of September, uh, and by like the 10th and 11th, all of the headlines were like McKinley is recovering. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's interesting
2: because part of the irony too is part of why he, I mean, there were a lot of reasons he died. Like it was old timey medicine, but one of the things that they couldn't find one of the bullets. And Mm -hmm. part of that was probably because back in those days, like you didn't have electric lighting and surgery. Like you would have like a skylight and Mm -hmm. at the Pan-American exposition, there was a display called the tower. I think it was the tower of light showing off this new electric light thing. So it's kind of, kind of an inch one of huh. those, this is one of those things you'd read like in a reader's digest of like, isn't that weird mm-hmm. how that happened in history? Um, <laughs> um, He does kick it though.
1: At which point they really like doubled down both on, and also trying to tie Goldman to him Uh, and on September 22nd had published a long list of potential evidence showing that Goldman was part of this grand anarchist conspiracy Uh, it was basically just a record of all of her speaking tours but they wanted to show that she was clearly like making contacts all across the country to build this web of anarchist revolutionaries which (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she was technically doing that, but she was also she l- was pretty explicit again, kind of like Voltairine DeClaire being like, OK, I like his, I like the idea, but we're not organized enough for that. You're not going to like now is not the time right, to start like assassinating presidents. We anything. need to build this web.
2: Um, And I think yeah. if I remember correctly, that speech she gave at Cleveland, she specifically spoke out against violence.
1: Yeah, she basically like don't commit acts of violence, but I understand why right. you do.
2: Um, yeah,
1: <laughs> and which is why I want to talk a little bit about stochastic <laughs> terrorism because
2: <laughs> oh, Sam's like, I've been There's...
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's your turn now. There, a lot of the. Early twentieth century anarchists were very much like I'm gonna rile up this crowd and then peace out and then wipe my hands of anything that happens afterwards. And it's
2: I hate to say that, no. but that sounds really I was funny.
1: just thinking about that. Yeah.
2: Sorry. Sorry, part of the century. It's almost anarchists.
1: like this is something you shouldn't do.
2: Oh boy. But Leon, he was a he was a go-getter. Um, <laughs> so when they when they captured when they captured Leon, he at first wasn't really talking, but then it didn't take long for him to drop what his name was. Uh and they asked him, you know, like, do you realize he was probably gonna be executed? And he said, I am not afraid to die. We all must die sometime. Which is the most like sort of Eastern European, yeah. like fatalistic like <laughs> Uh, whatever right. we're, we're all right. gonna die
0: if i die i die
2: he while he was very friendly with the um the guards in the prison and so forth he refused to speak to his court appointed lawyers <laughs> <Those> <laughs>
0: Fucking
2: anarchists. and he was arraigned on first degree <laughs> murder which is not surprising so he was actually it was quite a difficult to find lawyers who were willing to what's the word i'm dying here uh willing to 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 Defend him. There's the word. Defend him? It's hard to find lawyers that are willing to defend him. And they, in the end, actually did not find lawyers who were willing to defend them. He found some lawyers that they could, like, force to defend him. So he was assigned two legendary judges turned lawyers, Robert C. Titus and Lauren L. Lewis. And one of their first acts in his trial was to, like, put in official motion that they were doing this under duress.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Good start. Yeah, that's how you build (laughs) confidence. Um, Listen, he's guilty, but we're going to do our best. We don't want to do
2: this. They didn't want anyone to think that they were doing this with any sympathy on their part towards Chogosh.
0: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he may look guilty, but... Uh, he's not uh...
2: so. It's interesting, actually. So Leon Chogosh, they asked him, you know, what he pled, and he pled guilty. And apparently, it didn't occur to anybody that he might do that. And the court was like, "Wait, you, <laughs> you can't, you can't plead guilty." He's like, "But he's like, but I did it. I okay, plead guilty." <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like Wait, no, I, did I shot him,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it was like. Shut up. They, they forced him to plead not guilty. In fact, he didn't even do it like his mm. lawyers. He was said he was guilty and Imagine the lawyers that. still filed a not guilty plea because the court,
0: <laughs> the court didn't know mouth. what to
2: do with a guilty plea. Because if he's guilty, like, why are we doing any of this?
0: Yeah, it, right?
2: It just, yeah. I, I always think that's funny. Um, but he uh, does, you know, take the stand and says some stuff in court that is uh, important to understanding him. The first is, uh, I don't, I didn't believe that one man should have so much and another should have none, which, you know, facts. And this one is, is an interesting one. And remember this guy is book smart and has read a lot. He said, I fully understand what I was doing when I shot the president. I realized I was sacrificing my life. I am willing to take the consequences So this is important because the only thing that his lawyers could possibly do is try to prove that he um, was innocent on or not guilty on the cause of its insanity. Like that's the only way they could go. And he, what he must've been aware of this relatively new test called the, the Minotin test. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but this is a, um, a guy who, um was tried for insanity in the United Kingdom, and there there was no there was no test up to that point of like how do you determine if someone can be found sort of mentally aware enough of these crimes and This is actually a big thing that came up in okay. Charles mm-hmm. Coteau's trial is they had two psychiatrists uh, who they called alienists back then, which I think is wild. And they literally couldn't even agree on what the definition of insanity was, and so they were not wanting that to happen again. Chogosh's trial, and here comes Chogosh, literally just just slapping this test away because what the test is is it a, is can a defendant uh, a defendant could plead insanity if he was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of the mind as not to know the nature and quantity of the act he was doing or he did know it that he did not know he was, what he was doing was wrong. And so with that little speech, he literally says, I understand what I did. I know what the consequences were and I know it was wrong and I did it anyway. And so they can't plead insanity.
1: His lawyers are like
2: (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh.
1: (laughs) I want to know if Shulgush's lawyers ever met uh, the lawyers of Declares Assassin. And like If they ever just sat down at a bar together and be like, fucking anarchists, man.
2: Uh, So unsurprisingly, the trial was short. On August 29th, 1901, uh, Chogosh is killed in Auburn prison via electric chair. And his last words are, I shot the president because I thought it would help the working people and for the sake of the common people. I am not sorry for my crime. I am awfully sorry because I could not see my father. Yeah. Oh. Um, so after he's died, um, Chogosh's brother tries to petition to, you know, take the body and give it a burial, but they, the state won't give it to him. And instead they bury Chogosh. They, well, they autopsy him and they didn't find anything particularly interesting. And they buried him in a prison grave without a casket and then dumped sulfuric acid and quick lime on his body The warden predicted that the body would decompose within 12 hours yeah they weren't messing around (laughs) so what i think is interesting about chogosh is the impact he did have on american politics because you could argue like i mean this was the emma goldman thing right is like it's not that there's anything Mm -hmm. you know her argument was like that we shouldn't go around assassinating people until we know what we're doing here we need a plan yeah and he didn't have that. However, in a weird way, no. he in some ways got closer to what he was looking for. And that was because Teddy Roosevelt became president. Now Teddy Roosevelt was no anarchist. In fact, he like, that was his whole, he like went on a tirade against anarchists for the first part of his, um, his time as president. But he was, he was a progressive. And he pushed a lot of policies that made things better for working people. He put in a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the sorts of things that we take for granted now that were new ideas. And Chogosh would have not thought that was enough. But I do think it's interesting that his actions did put this man in power who never would have gotten to the presidency. Like the Republican Party would have never mm. allowed him anywhere near that chair. Yeah, and he 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 won a second term. Um, and he had a huge impact because after him was Taft, who he basically hand selected. Um, now Taft didn't mm-hmm. perform the way he wanted him to, but he he hand selected him.
1: So direct action, gets uh, kind of, goods. especially because
2: because Roosevelt could use the anarchists yeah. as a foil, he was able to do all these other things because he's like, this isn't anarchy, this is like something else. Because I hate anarchists fuck anarchists but like mm-hmm. 40 hour work week i don't know if that's what he actually did but like yeah. you know okay yeah yeah, yeah but that so like, wasn't until right but like the, 30s, the, the but... sort of like maybe people shouldn't die in assassinate presidents maybe we should yeah. have parks um although that's a whole thing like a whole whole that's a whole podcast the national park whole oh yeah things but it did make things really tough for anarchists because now they went from being this sort of like weird group to like they killed the president. And it made things really difficult for them to organize yeah. from that point on. And really forever. Like I mean I remember growing up and my like my dad saying things to me like libertarians are just anarchists without bombs, which is not I would argue not accurate. But also, which libertarians are you talking about? But (laughs) I would argue that bombs are not necessarily a key part. Like, they're not like a central tenet of anarchy.
1: (laughs) There were a lot of people who self described as libertarians in Spain in the 30s who had lots of bombs and and use them yeah but like i grew but, i
2: know i grew up and this is of course you know 100 years later with like anarchists with Boogeyman, and like i remember my yeah. friends putting like the anarchy symbol on things like not because they were like anarchists but because that was like the rebellious thing to do yeah. like i remember asking someone who mm-hmm. had an anarchist symbol on his vest at, about him because being the nerd i was i was like hey i've always wondered like what is the deal with anarchy like explain your philosophy to me and he's like i just thought it looked cool
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i just like anti-flag then there's also like the whole commodification of punk and anarchy probably has had some effect of spreading the movement a little bit in terms of just like making it more socially acceptable to have the the A out on your clothes and whatnot. Yeah, I think depending uh, on where
2: you are, though, like...
1: I mean, I go to the country club. Uh,
2: with, with your anarchy with, symbols with, on? Uh, with, with bells yeah, on? I just
1: wear the <laughs> black and red flag and, <laughs> as a cape.
0: Blaring Chumbawamba.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, I'm in West Philly where it's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Everyone's an anarchist. Whatevs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I only read Proudhon, so I'm a real anarchist.
2: Like, whatever.
1: Oh god.
2: No, when we were talking about Fultrain declare, I was so like when she was complaining about all the different anarchists like fighting with each other, I was like, this is a little too real. It's a little too real. (laughs) This is the life I live. (laughs)
1: Yep. Yeah, it's it's also fun like looking at all of the arguments just within the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party that are still arguing about the same shit that people are arguing oh, with each sure. other today. Right. And oh, this yeah, was in 1900.
2: Like As far as these things are concerned, not moved very far. Um, and that is the question of like, this, no. is, this is always a questionable thing in historical research when you start doing the what ifs because you can't really know. But this was a really huge event and was this overall good or bad? And it's yeah. not. I don't think that's an easy thing to quantify, because TR did some things that McKinley never would have done, ever. Yeah, it's a gray um, also area. Killing people's sure. bad. Just put that. Killing people's bad, but yeah. <laughs> um, but also then the impact it had on the movement. Like it's just, it's it's. I always think it's interesting to look at these these sort of important moments that uh, that everything sort of hinges on. Yeah. And he's just this one lonely guy I'm, who thought he had syphilis <laughs> and he had this massive impact.
1: Uh, just yeah. dudes doing dude shit. He was just yeah. a guy, man. Getting so.
0: syphilis. <laughs> Getting syphilis, <laughs> shooting presidents, baby.
1: What do you do on a Saturday night? Hey, I was about to say. It's, uh, <laughs> my, Sounds kind of like have a, night. a
2: riot on top of that and we're like, ready to go.
1: Yeah.
2: um, Cool. So thank you uh, for joining me. In D-Listers of History Land.
0: It was very I, entertaining. I enjoyed myself, yeah. too.
2: And, uh, wow, my lights just flickered. That's great. Um, that makes me feel really safe in my house.
0: Uh, can, I, can I say, you you kind of knew parts of this because of a song? I also knew parts oh, really? of this what just because you know? of a song. McKinley hollered, McKinley's squall. Doc says, McKinley, I can't find that ball. You're bound to die. You're bound to die. Well, Roosevelt's in the right White House. He's doing his best. McKinley's in the graveyard. He's taking his rest. He's gone for a long, long time. White House Blues.
2: Oh, an so old, old
0: bluegrass song.
2: I like how they're I like, like we have to like really song, specifically yeah. talk about the fact that we cannot find the bullet.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: so um, <laughs> I'll do my closing stuff separate. But uh, everyone should go listen to Labor John. It's great. And learn learn your labor history.
0: Thank you. And continue listening to D-Listers of History, where they yep. list the Ds those, of history.
1: All those. Sure. The
0: big Ds and the little Ds, and all the Ds in between.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure I like where this is going.
0: <laughs> on that lovely
2: note. Thank you so much for listening to D-Listers of History. If you enjoyed yourself, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. That makes such a huge difference in reaching more people who would enjoy our podcast. So thank you so much for that. A huge thank you to April Keys for the use of the song Misfit from her album Mountain View. You can find her on all the various social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. I've back on the TikTok train at d of History No Hyphens. A big shout out to the folks supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us and get access to all sorts of exclusive content like our stickers and Our D-List Drabbles, which are extra little mini-episodes, become a patron of this program. All this and more can be found on our website, DListersofHistory.com. Again, no hyphens, just smush it together. Another big thank you to Labor John for joining us on our program and for having us as guests on their podcasts. Please go check them out on all the various podcast platforms. Our episodes come out on the first and third Mondays of each month, so our next episode will be coming out May fifteenth. And now, a episode relevant audio drop.
1: Kinley Holland, Inle Spole, Ducks in McKinney,
0: I can't find that Buffalo. Do I sometimes? Roosevelt in the White House, he's doing
2: his best. In the graveyard, he's taking his rest.
0: He is gone, long old time.